All right. Well, today I want to talk about, I want to go into the account of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the mount in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, open them up. Mark chapter 9, 1 through 2, or I'm sorry, 1 through 10. Now, real quick, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You know, well, you'll find out in a moment. Just calm down, just calm down. But it was not only a picture and a foretaste of both the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ, but I believe there are some very important points that we can pull. Say pull out. How many of you know, in, in the Word of God, there's double, the, the law of double reference. Or, I mean, you, there's one scripture and there's many different references, things that you can pull out and apply to the Christian. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So, I, I believe that there's some things in this to really help us, encourage us, build our faith as Christians. So, today I've entitled this message, Following Jesus Up the Mountain. How many of you are ready and willing to follow Jesus up the mountain? How many of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but you want to know? All right, Mark chapter 9, and let's look at uh, verses 1 through 10 here. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on high, on a high mountain apart by themselves. Say by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and, and they were talking with Jesus. Verse 5, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make, the, make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what, what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my belo- beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, say suddenly. When they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they have seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Now, in verse 1, let's break this down a little bit. In verse 1, Jesus told the disciples and those listening to him that there were some standing there who would not taste death until they seen the kingdom of God present with power. Now, in that scripture, Jesus was talking about the event that was going to follow on the mountain when Peter, James, and John were going up. He was saying, hey, there's some of you standing right now. You're going to see something that's going to be life-changing to you. But how many of you know that Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, he said this. I like this scripture. He said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give to you, say me, the kingdom. Or in other words, listen to this. Our heavenly father takes joy in giving us the benefits that are in the kingdom of God. Psalm 103 says, forget not all of his benefits. Did you know that our Heavenly Father takes joy in blessing his children? It makes him happy. It makes him joyful when he blesses his children, when his children are partakers of the benefits. Say benefits. Someone needs to hear that this morning. But listen, Jesus chose uh, to lead Peter. James and John up the mountain with him. Now, Peter, James, and John really made up the inner circle of those who were closest to Jesus. How many of you want to be in Jesus' inner circle this morning and in this life? They were in his inner circle. How many of you want to abide in the secret place? Psalm 91 of the Most High God. Follow me then on this. 
The New Testament application is this. That those that spend time getting to know Jesus in the word of God and in prayer will be rewarded by being led up to the mountain spiritually with Jesus Christ. By going up the mountain with Jesus, I mean drawing closer to him every day. Maintaining, say maintaining. Abiding, continuing with, maintaining a close and personal, intimate relationship with him. And along with that, I got some other points that I'm going to be bringing up. Now, but you've got to understand the spiritual significance of going up to the mountain. There's a spiritual significance here. There's a spiritual picture that we as Christians need to take hold of. Because the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they were too afraid. They were too lazy to go up the mountain with Moses to have a personal experience with God. Come on now. And because there was no desire to go up the mountain to have a personal experience, a personal relationship with God, they ended up, instead of going up the mountain, they ended up going around the mountain for 40 years. Say 40 years. That's a long time. Because of failing to seek God for themselves, they fell into many sins. And they brought a lot of pain, a lot of judgment on themselves. How many of you know that? That's not just Pastor James' interpretation. You go ahead and you read it in in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and all those books. But listen, there is a price to pay when you choose to reject Jesus' invitation to go higher with him up the mountain. Go to James 4.8. James chapter 4, verse 8. It's time to go up the mountain with Jesus. He's waiting for you to accept His invitation to go up the mountain with Him, to draw closer to Him. James 4, 8 says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. By the way, who takes the first step there? We do. cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded now how do we as christians draw near to god other than through the word of god and prayer how how do we do that what are some practical and profitable things that we can do well it's found in the same verse verse 8 here it says cleanse your hands you sinners now something you need to take hold of here I want you to know that the book of James is not written to unbelievers. The book of James is written to Christians. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So one thing that needs to be done by a Christian to pursue a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. I know it's not shouting material, but it should be. Living a holy life. It is. It is shouting material for people who are pursuing him. But those who are backslidden, those who don't give a rip, they don't care. They don't put any stock in that. Right? See, listen to this. Cleanse your hands has to do with your actions. Cleanse your hands has to do with your actions. How you live. And purify your hearts has to do with maintaining a pure thought life, pure attitudes. Come on, pure motives. Say motives. Wow. A double-minded person is one that tries to hold on to the world and God at the same time. Double-minded. He goes back and forth. God, world, world, God, God, world. They just go back and forth. And the Bible says that that is unacceptable for a child of God. Why? Because he wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants your heart. Deuteronomy 5.29, remember that scripture? God says, oh, that they had such a heart in them to pursue me. 
to keep my commands always. Now, I want you to go to 1 Timothy 8. 1 Timothy 4, 8, excuse me. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Listen to this. For bodily exercise profits a little. I use that once in a while when I'm lazy and don't want to exercise. All right? I know you have too. Don't lie. Don't judge me. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness, say godliness, is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now the word of God says that godliness, holiness is profitable. In all things for the Christian. Now, what are good works for an unbeliever? A good work for an unbeliever is dead works. Because anything outside of Jesus Christ is dead works. You're not going to earn your way to heaven just by doing good works. But a Christian who's born again should be doing good works. And it's profitable. You can't earn your way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only door. Amen? Now listen, don't minimize now the word of God in prayer. Don't minimize the word of God in prayer in this process. I said it a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again right now. It's the word of God that gives us the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. It gives us the knowledge who our Heavenly Father is. Right? Say, we need knowledge. And it's in prayer that we catch his heart. That we catch an impartation of his heart having to do with the scriptures. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. It's in prayer that the Holy Spirit opens the scriptures to us in a greater way. And he shows us how to apply each passage to our everyday life. See, The Bible is practical. God's not asking anything from you or I that's unreasonable. It's very practical. It's the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, listen to how this ties in. It says that the letter kills, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives life. How many of you know that scripture? It's the letter that kills, but it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives life. In other words, if a person has knowledge only, without the heart of God imparted with it, it has the potential of driving a person into condemnation. Are you hearing me? See, we got to be very careful on this. Everything God wrote in the Word, in the Bible, and everything that He does is motivated by love. Don't ever forget that. It's motivated by love. Well, how can you say such a thing? Because God is love, the Bible says. Everything He does is motivated out of love, right? Because that's who He is. And everything that His children, Christians, should do, everything should be motivated by love also. Isn't that right? 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this. Knowledge puffs up or makes prideful, but love edifies. This was the problem that the Pharisees had. They had the knowledge, but they had no love. And they were not representing the heart of God accurately. Say accurately. They were not representing the heart of God. And then Jesus Christ comes along. And he has to mess everything up. The traditions of men. He had to come along and he messed everything up. And he clashed with the Pharisees. See, Jesus was bold. Jesus was uncompromising. Come on. But it was all in love. Because he is love. So it's so important as Christians to get the heart across, the heart of God across to the lost from the scriptures. We must get across the love of God to them. 
They not only need the letter of the Word of God, the knowledge of the Bible, but also the Spirit of God to show them the heartbeat of God on the Scriptures. Amen? They need to know that the commandments of God, the commandments in the Bible... Those are, that's the love of God, the love of God trying to protect mankind, trying to restore them back into right fellowship with him through Jesus. They need to know that God is showing us mankind how to stay, like I said before, how to stay within the lines of blessing and how to stay away from sin. So when ministers such as myself, we talk about living a holy life for God, separated from the world, it's for your own good, it's for my own good. That's not legalism, that's truth. See, a lot of people like to take that scripture, oh, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. They try to use that as a license to sin. Like, like they're free from any command in the word of God. And that's just a lie from the pits of hell. Are you hearing me? But listen, that's not legalism, it's truth. We need to live a holy life. But if the heart of God's not attached to the message, it can be presented as legalism, and that's when God is not represented properly. Are you hearing me? Now, you've got to understand this. Some people mistake boldness for not walking in love. Like I said, Jesus was bold, was he not? I mean, we're talking about, he went into and flipped over tables, people. A lot of people would say, man, he needs some, ang- some anger management classes there. <laughs> Everything he did was in love. Jesus never sinned once. The Bible said anger's not sin. The Bible says be angry and sin not. How many of you know there's a righteous anger? There's a righteous anger. So... So some people mistake boldness for not walking in love, and that's simply not true. Now listen, you tell me what is not walking in love. Listen, encouraging and allowing someone to stay in their sin and end up in hell for eternity, or confronting their sinful lifestyle with the Word of God and hoping they'll turn to Jesus Christ and get saved. You tell me, you judge. What is walking in love? What is walking in love? I think the answer is obvious. If you love people, you will confront them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it offends them. Are you hearing me? Because I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. Oh, come on. You tell a homosexual that homosexuality is a sin, you better believe they're going to be offended. But it's the truth of God's word. Are you hearing me? And if that offense will keep them out of the pits of hell for eternity, praise God. Another one saved from the devil's grip. Are you hearing me? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was talking to one pastor in the area a while back at a pastor's breakfast. And he was mocking me. And some other pastors in the area, because we're bold on such issues as abortion, homosexuality, and, and we're bold to talk and speak what the Word of God says. So this pastor was kind of mocking us, you know, and, and he said, my church is truly a friend of sinners. Well, he was saying that because he, he doesn't hold the biblical standards on those issues, you see. So he embraces their sin and he encourages them in it. I mean, even lets them become Sunday school teachers in the church. All right? So, you know, he's mocking us, and he said, My church is truly a friend of sinners. And I said, Yeah, real good friends you are. Loving them all the way to hell for eternity. Real good friend. Guys, with friends like that, we don't need a devil. Hello. We got to get our heads screwed on straight. Amen? It's the blind leading the blind. And this is right here in our home area, people. 
right here. And I'm going to be bold to confront these issues. Because they're leading people to the pits of hell. And I don't like it. And no, my speech is not hate speech, pioneer. It's the love of God coming through me, sharing the truth of the word of God. I love those people enough to tell them the truth. And you know what? The truth does hurt sometimes, doesn't it? When you're confronted with it. How many of you ever, you were into something and, and you were, someone, a good Christian friend came up to you and shared a, a thing in the Word that says, man, you're doing something that's against the Word. How many of you know at first your, your offense goes up? Your pride goes up? What do you mean? What do you mean? That's why we got to be meek as Christians. We got to be teachable. Amen? So no, I don't hate the homosexuals. You know what? Homosexuals, come and fill this church. At least you'll be hearing the word of the living God and not a bunch of junk. Amen? Come on in. Come on in. No, a true friend would lead you away, away from destruction, not lead you into it. Amen? And I'll tell you right now, if, if that man or others like him, they stay on the same path and they don't repent and truly make Jesus the Lord of their life, they will be the ones on judgment day who run to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you don't know Jesus if you're saying that sin is okay and acceptable in the, in the sight of God. Are you hearing me? That's just a fact. So the verse that says the letter kills but the spirit gives life in no way means that you water down or take away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you water down or take away at all. But it does mean that love should be your motive for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love should be your motive. And just be prepared. Even if your motive's love, like I said, people are going to take it that it's hate speech. See, this is the see, and this is what Canada went into. You can't say that homosexuality is a sin and you'll get thrown in the slammer because it's hate speech. You better believe America's heading in this same direction. Did you read the Pioneer article? This hate speech, this hate speech. Not a clue. They're blinded. They're blinded. It means that the Holy Spirit will quicken, will give life, give meaning, and the heartbeat of God attached to the Scriptures. And if that person is offended at you when your motive was pure, well, that's their problem and not yours. Are you hearing me? You just let it roll off your back and you keep pressing forward and you pray for those individuals. So to draw closer to Jesus, to be in his inner circle, to abide in the secret place of the Most High, we are expected as Christians to live a holy life. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Are you getting anything out of this? Hebrews chapter 12. Like I said, I, I, I mean it. People are tired of hearing fluffy messages. They're tired of hearing fluff. They want to hear real issues. Real issues that we're dealing with in society today from a biblical stance. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, lay aside every weight. And the sin. See, there might be some things in your life, they may not be sin, 
But they're a weight in your Christian walk. They're, they're hindering you from moving forward with Jesus up that mountain. And it says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Unnecessary weights and sin will trip us up as we attempt to climb the mountain with Jesus spiritually. Say trip. We don't want to be tripping. We as Christians are to look to Jesus. It says in the scripture, look unto Jesus. Have you ever noticed when you're driving, if you're trying to, if you look at some, wherever you're looking, eventually you kind of go in that direction. That's why the scripture says, keep focused on Jesus. And it's when we get our eyes off of Jesus or we get our eyes on the world. That's when you'll start to accept, well, you know what? What's wrong with this kind of homosexual? What's wrong with abortion? The woman's choice, you know. That when you get your eyes off of Jesus, you'll accept what the world accepts. That's why the scripture is very clear. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the word of God. Don't let it depart from your eyes, Proverbs says. Amen? We as Christians, we're to look to Jesus. It says he's the author and finisher of our faith. How do we keep our eyes on him in our life? By letting him lead the way. If we're to look to him, obviously he's supposed to be the leader. He's in front of us because we're supposed to keep our eyes on him. He's in the front of us leading the way. The word of God calls him the good shepherd. Think about it. The more you set your heart on seeking the Lord, the more you read the word of God, the more you pray. The more you let go of the trash of the world, you are spiritually climbing and following Jesus up that spiritual mountain. You're laying aside every weight. It gets easier. Every step you take to go higher with Jesus, the pull of the world becomes less and less. How many of you figured that out before? You know, as you're pressing into Jesus, the temptations of the world don't seem as strong on you anymore. Why? Because you're, you're allowing your spirit man to get stronger in your flesh. You're, you're dying to your flesh, the sinful nature. Are you hearing me? It will become easier to overcome temptation. And every time you and I choose as Christians to be led by the Holy Ghost over the fleshly and sinful desires... We are going higher up the mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I find it interesting what it says in James 4.10. Go there with me. I find this very interesting. We just read what uh, a little while ago in James 4. Hey, draw nigh to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I just find it real interesting. I'm talking about climbing the mountain, what James 4.10 says. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this is the connection with James 8, which we just read. How do we tie this all together? Humility simply means this, to stop living your life your way, on your terms, but to submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Which ultimately means that you live according to the word of God. Right? Well, I'm abiding in Jesus. Well, you're not following the word. Well, I'm a, no. If you're abiding in the word, you're abiding in Jesus. If you say you're abiding in Jesus, you you're, must be abiding in the word. Because the word and Jesus are one. Are you hearing me? But listen to this. Humility is a trust, a confidence. It's a strong conviction that God's way is the best way. What does that sound like? Sounds like faith, doesn't it? The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Faith and humility are the power twins of the Christian life. Now, I do want to point out, according to James 4.10, something, listen to this. I want to point this out. It is unscriptural to pray for humility. Did you catch that? It is unscriptural to pray for humility. How I many of you ever heard a Christian? Lord, just humble me. Lord, give me more humility. That's totally unscriptural, and you're wasting your breath. Because God says that we are to humble ourselves. Don't pray for something that God has commanded you to do. 
Humble yourselves. It doesn't say pray for humility. Right? Have you ever caught that before? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he will raise you up. Like I said, don't pray for something that God has already commanded us to do. Now I want you to notice that the Bible says that that if you will submit your life to Jesus in all areas of your life, you'll stop, if you will stop being your own God, that the Lord will lift you up. You know, it's the thing, it's like this. If you lift Jesus up, he'll lift you up. If you will lift Jesus up in your life, he will lift you up. And what is the purpose of being lifted up or going higher spiritually? What is the purpose of that? Jesus wants to reveal more of himself to you through his word. Listen to this. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Now, it's the function of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth unto you. Did you know that? How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and you read a scripture and all of a sudden, man, you just had like illumination on, on this scripture you never had before and it's like a light went on. How many of you ever had that? That is literally the Holy Spirit that opened that to you. So when that happens, take good note of, of how that happens and just know, be familiar with the Holy Spirit, how he speaks to you, how he works in your life. That was the Holy Spirit illuminating scriptures to you. But it's, the, it's the, his function to reveal truth unto you. It is the function of the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Jesus Christ to you. It's the function of the Holy Spirit to help Christians go higher and to grow spiritually. Did you know that? To become partakers. It's the Holy Spirit's function to help you and I. He's the helper. One called alongside to help. To help you and I become partakers of every benefit that's in this book through Jesus Christ. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit wanting to do that, though? Have you ever asked that? Why, why is he doing all this stuff? What, what is the big plan? What's the big picture on this, God? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would glorify him. Now listen to how we as Christians tie into this plan. Because when Christians are drawing closer to Jesus Christ and becoming partakers, taking hold of all the benefits... In the gospel. When we, are, when we are bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Because we are part of his body on this earth. Listen to this. When we become partakers of everything in the book here. The question is why does the Holy Spirit reveal these things? Why is he so helpful in wanting us? Is it just for our own good? Or is there a bigger plan to this? Remember we as Christians are called the what? The body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are his body on this earth. The fact is this. Every time you and I are partakers of every benefit and and act in it and be a doer of the word, we are bringing glory to Jesus Christ. You can't separate the head from the body. Are you hearing me? So there's a bigger plan to this. So that's why it's the Father's good pleasure to give unto us the kingdom, as I read in Luke 12, 32. Because ultimately, it brings glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why it's our Heavenly Father's good pleasure to give unto us the benefits of the new covenant and kingdom. And that is what the Christian's purpose and motive should be, to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. Amen? Jump back with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and I just want to look at verses 2 through 6 one more time. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer or good wife on earth can whiten them. Oh, did I just, oh my, you guys are hard. You know that? You guys are hard. Man, I'm going to take flack for that one. Probably get written up in the Pioneer for that one. I'm not a wife hater. I love my wife. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. 
Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles or tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Now at the top of the mountain, Jesus was transfigured, and Peter, James, and John, they seen the glorified Christ for a moment. Think about how awesome that must have been. You know, it's interesting that Moses and Elijah appeared. Why is that significant? What, what can we pull out of that? I mean, one thing I found out about God, he does everything with a purpose. There's not one thing written in this book right here, or he does, that doesn't have a purpose. Are you hearing me? Moses represents the law or the old covenant. Elijah represents the prophets that prophesied the first coming of Jesus Christ and his redemptive mission for coming to earth. Now in verse 7 now, a great cloud, read it for yourself. In verse 7, a great cloud, a cloud, the glory cloud overshadowed Peter, James, and John. And out of that glory cloud, God the Father speaks these words. This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, this is the thing here. That Jesus, what God the Father was saying... Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets were there. And now Jesus points out, or God the Father points out specifically, hear him. That Jesus is the way now. Are you hearing me? And that everything, the law and the prophets all point to Jesus Christ. That's the significance in that. All right? But when you press in, listen, and get into the presence of God, how many of you know you'll hear the voice of God clearly, clearer on the inside? You'll become to know, you'll, be, you'll know the promptings of the Holy Spirit more. It'll be easier to be led by Him. How many of you, you know you've been backslidden, you've been away, you haven't gotten into the Word, haven't gotten into prayer, and you just can't for the life of you pick up what God wants you to do in a situation? That's because your flesh is stronger than your spirit, man, and your spiritual ears are a little deaf right now. Are you hearing me? But as you press in, you will become, you'll hear the voice of God. What do I mean by the voice of God? The promptings. You'll just know. You'll, you'll, you're more connect. How can I say? You'll become more connected with heaven, if you will. Are you hearing me? But I want to say this again. In this account, God the Father was showing us that the law and the prophets all point to Jesus Christ. Secondly, he was telling mankind that Jesus was now ushering in the new covenant. And we are to hear him. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the only way. He is the only door to God the Father and eternal life. Amen? Yes. Now listen to this. i got to point this out too. It's just so neat what the Holy Spirit opens up to you in, in, when you're studying the Word. I find it extremely interesting what five verses are before the account of the transfiguration on the mount here. I, I'm just, I was blown away when the, I just, I, I felt like I needed to read the scriptures just before. Let's take a look at them right now. Look at Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38. I'm talking about following Jesus up the mountain. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, here it is, whoever de desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man, a person, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For, his soul? for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. How many of you know we're in that generation right now? Of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The fact is this. If you really want to see Jesus Christ for who he is in the fullness and his glory, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him up the mountain. Are you hearing me? I, I mean, how many of that? Isn't that awesome how 
Like I said, everything in the Word of God is in for a purpose. The structure of the Word of God. And right before the transfiguration, God just so happens to slice that passage right there in there and says, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. It is when you drop your pride that the Holy Spirit reveals more and more to you from the Word of God as a Christian. The Word of God says in James that God resists the proud. He opposes the proud. And that's talking to Christians, by the way. How many of you know a sinner is already prideful? They want to be their own God. They want to live their own way. Right? But how many of you know it's very easy for a Christian to fall into that same trap of the devil? But he gives great unmerited favor to the humble. Those who are willing to be a doer of the word. To do things God's way. And it's at that point that you'll go from dead works or rituals to relationship and intimacy with your heavenly father and in your Christian walk. The higher you go spiritually, the more you'll experience the glory of God, the presence of God in your life. And more revelation, illumination of him will come into your life. My last passage here. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We always joke around. The going joke in our family is, you know, oh, you know, preaching too long. You preach too long. You preach too long. Well, I don't know how I could fit anything in 20 minutes, to be honest with you. I, I'm just getting warmed up. I mean, you know, that's just the introduction for me. I mean, my goodness. All right, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. But we all, talking about Christians, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That literally means transformed from the inside out. It's a, it's a transformation on the inside, and then it comes outward. See, when it's outward and not in, then you're just a Pharisee. You're just, you got the dead works, but not that you, your heart's not changed. Beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed, changed from the inside first, into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, the more you and I experience the glory of the Lord, we are being changed on the inside. As we press in to know Jesus more, we, be, we are being changed into, it says, the same image. From glory to glory. Every time the Holy Spirit, listen, reveals a piece of the puzzle from the Word of God, a change takes place on the inside of us. It's another step toward glory for the Christian. See, it's all about Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. It's all about Jesus Christ. Everything in the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is this, for all of you Christians here today, watching me around the world on the internet, listening on the radio, right now, the question is this for you Christians, will you follow Jesus Christ up the mountain and get to know Him more? See, listen to me. The books are about to be closed on history as we know it. The question is this for all of you unbelievers here and watching and listening to me around the world. Are you going to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life today? Listen to me. Let's stand in this place. The Bible says this, that today is the day of salvation. Why? Why does the Bible say that? Because you may not have a tomorrow. You may not have a tomorrow. And the day that you take your last breath on this earth, game over. Your eternity, your eternal destination is sealed for eternity. Now, if there's someone in this place, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. 
today is the day of salvation. That's why the Bible puts it in there. It says, while you hear the message, when you hear the message, you need to respond to it. You need to respond to the message today. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to come forward today. And I just want to have the privilege of praying with you to becoming born again, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and having your eternal destination sealed as you follow him up the mountain. Now, maybe there's someone in here, you said the sinner's prayer a while back in your life. And frankly, you don't know if you were to die right now, to drop dead right now you don't know if you would go to heaven friend that's too big of a risk you need to settle it in your heart today that if you took your last breath you would go to be with jesus for eternity in heaven if you need to rededicate your life i want you to come forward this morning maybe there's someone in here you've never received the holy spirit baptism Bible. That's not a Pentecostal experience. It's not a, a Pentecostal charismatic experience. It's a Bible experience. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit baptism, just come forward and I want to talk to you about that. Maybe there's someone in here you're battling a sickness, a disease, physically, emotionally. Maybe you just need someone to come into agreement with you in your life over a certain thing. The rest of you, I'm just going to open up the altar and seek the Lord on your own. And I want you to settle it in your heart today that you're willing to throw aside any, every and any weight. You're willing to deny yourself to make Jesus the Lord of every area of your life and follow Him up the Worship the Lord. Christian school or not, I pray you would give them boldness to stand for your word. Give them the knowledge they need to do a great job, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd prick the hearts of the students, that you'd draw that whole school nigh to your son, Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, revival would come to Colorado, Lord. Revival would come to that school in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon you all right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. What a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Who needs prayer? Just come right up.
Anybody else need prayer? Need a, a prayer for healing? Well, if, there we go. Hold on. In Jesus' name, if someone's watching right now who needs a healing, right now we just loose the healing anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ through that camera, through that computer to you right now. Lord, I pray you touch them. I commend every sickness and disease to leave their bodies in Jesus' name for their immune system to be strengthened, healed, and every evil and unclean spirit to loose and leave them now in Jesus' name. Right now, I pray for every person in this building, every person watching on the internet, listening on the radio and internet around the world. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would show them things in their life that they need to throw to the side and that you would help them. You would help them, Lord God, in every area of their life. Strengthen them. Deliver them from all evil. And everyone said, amen. All right. Well, Praise God. Today is Baptism Sunday. We have people who are going to get baptized. We'll get started on that within 10 minutes here. So uh, also, got some announcements here. Thank you very much.